0: This podcast was recorded on the date indicated with the link. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of Dublin Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. Dubline has no obligation to provide updates or changes.
1: and welcome to the Sherman show. I'm Jeff Sherman. Here today with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And today we are recording on Thursday, August 11th, 2022. And today we have a very special guest guest coming with coming to us. His name is Todd Rosenbluth. He is the head of research at Vetify. In his role at Vetify, Todd is responsible for overseeing the firm's research into ETFs, product trends and advisor behavior. Todd, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to
0: be with you, Sam and Jeff.
1: Yeah. And as Sam always says, you know, I have the face for radio and face for podcasting. But if you want to see this one uh, live up her- in close in person, you can actually go to our YouTube channel. I guess we record it live. It'll be recorded and dated by the time it gets up there. Uh, but that's at youtube.com backslash double line capital. So, Todd, welcome to the show. Um, you know, I- I've known you for many years covering us on manager research and, and things back at your old firm as well. So, why don't you give our listeners a little brief uh, history in the life of to- Todd Rosenbluth?
0: Sure. Uh, so, I was a, originally a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley and realized that I liked doing the research and wasn't as good at the relationship building as a 22 year old. And I moved into the research world, uh, trans- primarily focused initially on. Mutual funds, which is how I, you know, I know of Double Line, I know of you, you, Jeff, and the broader team. Um, I was at value line, I then went to SP, I then covered individual stocks from a fundamental perspective and then moved back in to focusing on both mutual funds and ETFs. I enjoyed doing that so much that I actually asked my company, SP, to stop letting me cover stocks and let me focus only on mutual funds and ETFs. So I saw a niche to be able to dive deeper and, and do the due diligence uh, that you talked about. I spent about 20 years in total uh, at both either S&P or the company that got spun out of S&P called CFRA Research, where I was doing independent research. The last 10 years of that 20 was focused solely on mutual funds and ETFs. Uh, ETFs became a greater part of my focus and Six months ago, I moved over to, about six months ago, I moved over to a company that is probably known to many of the listeners, ETF Trends. Uh, And then three months ago, we rebranded ourselves from ETF Trends to Vetify Um, and can tell you more about Vetify as well, but want to just not make this be a monologue.
1: Yeah, no, um,
0: I I see you're you're wearing a, a pin on your lapel. Is that the Vetify logo? It is. So look at that. Yeah. You're encouraging folks to go to the YouTube channel right there and, and see what I'm wearing. Yeah. Uh, so the V is for Vetify. Um, and what we did is we brought a few different businesses together under one roof. So there used to be an index capability under Alarian and S Global Networks. Uh, there was ETF Trends, which is the company that I joined, and then ETF Database. We brought those brands under Vetify. And we are attempting to be a one-stop resource uh, for a variety of financial needs. So we've got indexing about $14 billion of assets are benchmarked to indexes behind Vetify. Thought leadership is the side of the business that I'm on. I'm writing uh, research and commentary on our ETF trends website. I'm also being a, a part of the webcasting team that does some digital distribution and commentary. And then we've got a lot of great data and analytics about how advisors, how investors are thinking about ETFs in particular, where their focus has been. Uh, and then I'm using that to write commentary and research about it. So it, it, it goes in a, a nice flywheel uh, to sit in the middle between investors and asset managers. So some listeners, uh, actually listeners, I guess, on both sides of that, hopefully to this podcast. What's yeah, the, uh, well, we
2: the of the name, oops, sorry i was gonna say off.
1: i hope there's some people listening to this since we we, we <laughs> took your
0: time todd but yeah sam go ahead
2: yeah no, yeah, i just wanted to see what the genesis of the name it's a pretty u- unique name there
0: yeah so uh there's some iterations of it that's tied to sanskrit uh in that Veda uh or, or or uh has a to be able to do an understanding and and to to vet something to be able to do uh focus on on due diligence and And research uh, is is part of where that name comes from, the FI, in terms of finance. Um, So our goal is to just sit um, and be where knowledge is power, and we want to be able to provide our end clients, which are both advisors and asset managers, help them achieve their respective goals. So I didn't know any Sanskrit before, Uh, I probably still don't necessarily know it, but it's just a, a, a sign of We've gone deep into the resources, and what hopefully the listeners will know if they look at the spelling of it, it's V-E-T-T-A-F-I. This ETF is right in the middle of that. We hope to have ETFs uh, be right in the middle of a lot of what we're doing, and I guess I'll do this before I miss the opportunity to belatedly welcome DoubleLine into the ETF community. You guys launched ETFs earlier this year. I know we can't go too in the weeds on that, uh, but I want to say congrats.
1: Yeah, well, thanks for that, Todd. We really appreciate it. And as Sam likes to say, you know, he's a big GI Joe fan that that knowing's half the battle, right? So, um, you know, it's good that you know at least one word and the definition in Sanskrit, right? So... Um, yeah, no, thanks for that. And uh, you know, we, we don't want to run afoul of compliance and everything. So uh, let's steer away from our ETFs today. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the industry? What What are you seeing in the ETF world? I know you know there's been every year it seems there's more and more launches. Uh, it's been a challenging market. What are you seeing? You know, out there in the space today, um, in terms of launches, what are you seeing resonating with folks? And you know, what are your interests in, in coverage today?
0: Yeah, so let me let me start at the 10,000 foot or so level and then we can and make my way down it. Um for perspective, the ETF market is around 7 trillion dollar US market is around 7 trillion dollars that was boosted by over 900 billion dollars of net inflows in 2021. Uh we are on pace to probably have about 600 billion dollars of money go into ETFs This year, we're at 350 billion or so, give or take, uh, by the time we're we're recording this, uh, as mentioned on August 11th. So it's easy to go, well, 900 billion now to 600 billion. That must be a disappointing year. That would be the second strongest year ever. And as you and certainly the listeners know, we're in a bear market for most US equities. Uh, Oh, no, 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 no,
1: no, 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 Todd. The NASDAQ is now 20% off the lows. We're in a bull market. It may be 40% off the high, you know, for that
0: decline. But, you know, that, that old
1: quirky true. thing, right? You know, that but, that, yes. that,
0: that, is, that is true. I guess I was using the S&P 500 as my reference yeah. point, and I don't yeah. believe we've come back to no, that. No, fair
1: enough. And I believe in the Ritholtz, you know, if you've listened to Barry Ritholtz, right? You got to you got to cross the previous high and go 20% before you can defi- declare it a new bull market, you know?
0: Yeah, well, it's certainly, what it certainly, what it certainly has been is a tough year to be investing in equities. If you were starting in the beginning of the year and if you were patient uh, and and passive, and perhaps we can talk about active and passive uh, as part of this, it was, the, as again, you certainly know better than I do as managers of uh, fixed income strategies, it was the worst half, first half uh, for the the Bloomberg Barclays Ag. Um, and so those, those that's not a, a backdrop that would necessarily have people running to put money in um, and what's happening is people are putting money into ETFs, um, and, and that's what excites me is it's not easy to bring in money um, as an asset manager in a perpetual bull market, um, but it's certainly easier to get people to do that, and so investors continuing to turn to ETFs as a vehicle of choice um, is particularly exciting in, the, in this environment, um, and so I'm excited about that and what we're seeing. And yeah, we're seeing, um, I guess, before we get to the products that we're seeing, that's interesting. Where we're seeing the money is also uh, has been interesting. So it's been a challenging year, um, again, with, with the ag relatively uh, low people and and yields, uh, you know, bond yields haven't been climbing. We've seen investors look for alternative forms of income. Dividend ETFs are going to have a record year in terms of net inflows. We've seen other equity strategies, uh, covered call-oriented strategies that have been very popular with investors. We've been seeing on our, our website uh, through Vetify that um, we're seeing real estate gain traction as investors are looking towards defensive areas of the equity marketplace uh, that's been popping up. And I mentioned one of the things that we do uh, is we do webcasts. So we're we're talking to advisors Well, actually, we're asking them questions through, uh, you know, on a digital format on a weekly basis and getting answers. And we're continuing to see that they're looking for something else other than core fixed income. They're looking for an enhancement to that through fixed income, through other asset classes. We're also seeing them look towards uh, various equity strategies that I touched on earlier. And then I'll pause in a second. But what's also exciting is that the month of July was a great uh, was a very strong month for fixed income ETFs. And, um, you know, They're roughly 20% of the overall ETF marketplace. And there was, uh, I think, double the inflows for fixed income ETFs in the month of July. And we saw it, t- saw it towards equities. The, the Fed has obviously been very active this summer um, and that investors are turning towards uh, fixed income ETFs. They're, they're leaning in to either take risk on or risk off been exciting uh, because this is certainly a year that you could say all right i want to move out of fixed income the it's too challenging for me that's not what's happening we're seeing investors rally to the fixed income etfs in particular in july and and again thus far in august
1: you know and you brought up one point there um you know about the flows and everything and uh i've been asked by a couple of market pundits that market punditry that you know, ultimately, why do you see the flows in fixed income ETFs? And, you know, is it a transition, you know, because you're seeing the outflows in the mutual fund side, and they're going into, you're seeing flows into the ETF wrappers. Is is it something different about the space? Or, you know, kind of my contention was that, it could be some of this tax loss harvesting that you're seeing in the marketplace. Um, you know, that's hard to ever pin your your finger or put your finger on it and really understand that. But do you think that that's part of potentially some of the conversion where it's saying, okay, I had this ability to sell some mutual funds, I can convert to this wrapper, or do you think it's just something different going on? So I'm, I'm just curious about that.
0: I, I think it's a combination of things. So yes, it's certainly tax loss harvesting is is playing a role. If you were down 9% give or take in the first half as many of the core bond mutual funds were um, that's not a great uh, environment to, to hold on to and, and so if you're going to rotate, if you're going to rotate in and, and continue to have a, a heavy ballast towards fixed income within your portfolio as an advisor, you could rotate away from some of those some, some of that, and put in a perhaps an index based alternative. So you're, you're not replicating exactly what you're doing if you were choosing an active mutual fund beforehand, going within an index based passive, just again, to just wait out and, and be able to see what's going on. But then we're also seeing what's interesting to me is money is going in um, to both the short end, you know, ultra short bond ETFs have been relatively popular as people. Weighted out, and then people are taking on additional risk. We saw uh, strong interest in both investment grade corporate bonds as well as high yield uh, bond ETFs. Again, during the month of July, I recently wrote a piece on, on ETF trends uh, looking at the strong inflows to the variety of high yield bond ETFs, erasing some of the net outflows that we saw through the first half of the year. That, that July was a very strong period. Investors looking to take on some risk but also balancing that out by 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 managing their their duration in the rising rate environment so taking on credit risk but but reducing that duration risk which again uh, I, I I've been on the other side of this conversation with I haven't been with Sam but with with you Jeff asking you is that what you're doing so I, so my my temptation is to do just that and mm-hmm. I won't do that I won't I won't flip the script yeah um, but I imagine that's what active management is is doing as well, is, is trying to find the opportunities within fixed income instead of sticking with a core.
1: Yeah, no, I think also, you know, some people have asked me that, is it neurotic when you look at the flows you see back in, you see. You know, front end of the treasury markets, right? As you pointed out, and you see high yield, you know, being really one of the beloved childs here, right? And so I said it actually makes some sense. If you're gonna buy high yield corporates at this point, you probably want some risk offset, right? And so that's that, you know, recession fears, right, that drive people to like the the long bond ETFs, right? Or the ones that are on the back end of the yield curve. I said, that makes some sense. Um, the front end, it's pretty attractive these days, right? Um, now the problem with the front end a little bit is most of us think it's probably going to go up a little bit more, you know, um, just given that the Fed's probably going to be a little more aggressive. And and I think I said in my last podcast, I would fade the Fed forward curve at this point. I think that they're going to be much more aggressive than the, the market's price. I think three and a half terminal rate is just too low. And you're, you're hearing it from Fed governors as well, especially with economic data picking up. That said, you know, back to the high yield argument. I mean, what a run we've seen in like six weeks, right? I mean, and it's been driven by flows. And so, where money hasn't been showing up in a lot of pockets of the market, it has been really showing up in corporate bonds, IG's uh, IG as well. But we all know that the investment grade or IG market definitely has that duration component, right? So, right. I think there's a little bit of fear. So, look, I, I mean, if you like corporate America, you believe that the economy is strong. That barbell type of approach of buying a longer duration treasury, mixing it with a high yield, putting in the right dollar amount, I think you can get a better yield profile and a better risk off profile than necessarily say the investigate corporate market. But again, it's getting a little complex in there of trying to, you know, you got a you key rate duration and things like that mismatch. But I do think that there, there is something to be said about that. But I'll, I'll tell you internally, you know, we've been a little bit of a seller of high yield with this because- when I think about where we are in the macro economy, I think there's still some noise coming. I don't believe we're in a recession, but what I do think about is that, you know, if I think about the slowdown in growth, high yield spreads no longer reflect that slowdown, right? We were pricing close to a recession when spreads got to almost 600. I Maybe mean, it's not a dire part of the recession. It's definitely a significant slowdown, but at like, um, you know, a 420 spread, right, that we're seeing today. Doesn't seem like it's enough to get us through a slowdown. So we've been fading that a little bit, just because again, you have a little bit of other areas that have been slower to recover there. So what what are you seeing in that in terms of that flow data? Do you do you do you think that that is chasing performance, or do you think that that's really a matter of advisors kind of being forward looking on things and saying, you know, look, I, I think there's ways of using these pieces and these sectors of the market to put together an asset allocation?
0: Yeah, I, I, I think the latter. I think that well, there's certainly gonna be always some performance chasing that takes place, but I think advisors are increasingly using ETFs to rebuild the portfolio that they wanna have for clients. And more and more they're gaining comfort with the various tools they have in the fixed income marketplace so that they can be able to not just have just core bond exposure, they can raise the risk profile with high yield. Um, What was interesting in sticking with the high yield is that we saw people actually rotating out of, or money rotating out of some of the short-term high yield. So the, both iShares and State Street have, uh, I guess, have the two largest of the high yield uh, ETFs. They also offer short-term versions of those products. So the, the duration, short term being the duration goes from four years to two years. So not a lot, but still enough that you can be able to manage it. And we saw saw in July that money moved away from that shorter term and into the more traditional high yield. But uh, I, I recently did a podcast where we gave advisors the option of where do they see the most attractive opportunities within the fixed income marketplace. And we essentially took eight slices of the fixed income market, and we did see that barbell approach. So we saw high yield being number one, and then slightly behind it at number two was the ultra short bond ETFs, as opposed to core, as opposed to munis, as opposed to long-term treasuries, as opposed to, I think we gave them the option of, of, of mortgage bonds, although that's a, you know, you guys will know that better than I will, but that's a slice that is harder for an advisor on their own to dial up and dial down, but we wanted to give them the tool that was there. So people being able to use more tools in their toolbox, we're seeing that with advisors, we're seeing institutions uh, increasingly move into using uh, fixed income ETFs Then being asset managers, then being insurance companies, hedge funds, and of course the more buyers uh, and users of fixed income ETFs The better that is from a liquidity perspective. That's one of the benefits of the ETF structure is there's somebody that needs to be on the other end of that trade in order for you to to sell. Um, The more people that show up to the ETF marketplace, the better.
2: You know, Todd, one of the things I wanted to to ask you is it just seems like just from my my observations that ETFs. In terms of new strategies that come out, seem to be seem to move at a faster pace than mutual fund managers when they come out. So, um, over the past, uh, let's say, even just looking at it since the pandemic, you know, there's been a number of fomo type investment strategies that have come out. As uh, it seems like managers are trying to capitalize on that theme of the of the day or the month. Uh, you know, the crypto ETFs were a big topic back in 2021, and then all of a sudden, you don't really hear much about them in 2022. Same thing with the meme stocks. You know, that came out just etfs focusing on these very specialized niches um what are some of the things that i guess prospective investors you know should be aware of when they're thinking about these etfs instead of just seeing it as money grab, perhaps by by the managers you know sometimes you know they do have you know fund, you know good foundations underneath them from an investment theme but just what are some of the things that they can uh, think about there you know one of the key things is, you know, sometimes the name of the ETF, while it sounds like maybe it focuses on green energy or you know vegan uh, ETF, you know, type things, sometimes the <laughs> underlying securities don't necessarily match that marketed name as well. So, you know, what are some of the the caveats that people should be thinking about when they consider these?
0: Well, I, I love that. For those that are on YouTube, can see me leaning forward and you're getting ready to to to, <laughs> to respond to that. Um, so you, you had a couple of things in there, Sam. I want to make sure I touch on. Um, Yes. In the ETF marketplace, things tend to move faster than they do in the mutual fund world and, and even faster than beforehand. So there's regulations that came about. I won't get too far in the weeds, but it made it easier to launch an ETF. Uh, it made it less costly to launch an ETF. And so we're seeing both large asset managers as well as ETFs, people who run money as advisors in the, from a strategy turning some of their products into an ETF and being able to do so relatively quickly. Some are broadly based in their strategies and some are very narrow and niche oriented because it's a concept that they believe in or they think there's an opportunity or they see this as, as, as just that, something to be able to do. So we're big believers. I'm a big believer that broad asset allocation still matters and you want to be diversified. Um, so it again, makes me happy. I, I keep dropping these webcasts, but I do a web two one or two webcasts each week. Um, and I just published a piece today that looked at thematic ETF investing. And it made me so happy. We did a webcast with with ARK. Again, I'm not name dropping uh, products, but we did one with ARC. And that's what they do is thematic investing. So it wasn't surprising to me that people on that webcast were interested in thematic investing. But it made me happy to see that they were using The majority had between 1% and 10% of their asset allocation in thematic investing, that they weren't crowding into these products because, of course, the higher reward also comes with that higher risk. So that made me feel good that the advisor base was being more prudent in what they're doing. So that would be, I guess, my lesson one is the narrower the strategy, it has to be built around something that's core, whether that's active or passive in the ETF space or a combination of that because the narrower the slice, the, the more you can get hurt. Um, but there, the ETF marketplace is relatively crowded and certainly in the anything non-core. So whether that's a, a sector, a style, a thematic approach to it, the name of the ETF, let alone the ticker of the ETF only tells you so much about what you're gonna get inside the portfolio. Um, there's you know half a dozen uh, clean energy ETFs that have the phrase clean energy in the name. And that's increasingly popular given that what's happening with the legislation in the United States that might uh, result in more spending to support uh, and provide clean energy. The, the the devil is in the details and you really need to understand what is inside the portfolio, the stocks, in the case of this stock portfolio, are going to drive the future returns. You need to know if you're buying utilities that are cleaner than the alternative, whether you're buying uh, technology and semi- specifically semiconductor companies and electric equipment companies that are helping to support the solar aspect, whether they're industrial companies that are manufacturing some of this. And so it's really important for an investor and advisor to take advantage of the the transparency that you can find through most ETFs to be able to look and see what it owns at an individual security level, but also rolled up at a sector or an industry level and and do your homework. Um, Make sure that you understand what you're getting because there's magnitudes of performance differences behind ETFs that sound like they're the same; they're delivering the same exposure, and then you go, "Wait, what happened here?" So there isn't that. There's a difference between the S and P 500 and the Russell 1000. Obviously, 500 stocks, but not not exactly because they're both market cap weighted. But as you slice the indexing world or the equity world, uh, that becomes even more noticeable. Same thing within fixed income. You know, if you were only high yield, but the product was only focused on double B, versus something that had double B or, or or single B and triple C, you really need to understand what you're getting. Uh, tickers are great. It uh, doesn't mean they're they're the right they're the right investment for for anybody.
1: Yeah. Well, you you point that out too. Like it's not just you know you can says it the same universe of things, especially when you're narrowly focused. The weighting scheme is going to matter massively, right? Because you're going to get a lot of more idiosyncratic risk. But talk to me a little bit about that, the tickers, because I've noticed that there's a lot more people being clever and you know trying to get tickers in the ETF world that are either catchy, thematic. Uh, like um, we probably did it ourselves, you know. Uh, but when I think about the mutual fund world, right, they're kind of boring, right? There's not a yeah. lot of people out there with these, you know, tickers that somewhat kind of connote what you're doing, and so. Do you think that helps some of this marketability or am I just overthinking it?
0: So, no, I, you're not at all overthinking it. So, it again, it depends upon who the audience is. So, if, so, increasingly, we're seeing adoption of ETFs by retail investors. Tickers matter a lot more uh, to a retail audience. And if you are going to be thematic in nature, you want to have people... At first glance, understand it, especially if you're a relatively new entrant or a relatively small entrant into the ETF marketplace. A catchy ticker. Again, I'm I'm going to try to not name tickers uh <laughs> here. Not not only not yours. I, ba- I not, baited you know, into that, and then you know. so well, don't don't mention it. You know? <laughs> yeah. um but if you think of uh, so, if you think of cybersecurity, it.
1: it's okay. We're not promoting. It. I'm just going to
0: say it. It's no, so well, well, so. The, if you think of cybersecurity, I'll use cybersecurity as, as a good example of it. And I'm not at all recommending any of these products. But the original, the first product that came to market, the ticker was HACK, A-G-C-K. That you, know, you, you can connect that very directly with cybersecurity. Another product that came to market was BUG, B-U-G. Again, you can connect that to it. Uh, uh, CIBR is a, is a third one. And then iHACK is a fourth one. If an asset manager came to the marketplace from a large provider whose name I won't name that doesn't have it, and they went with their nomenclature where they put their first letter in front of it, it probably would need to have HAK at the end of it or something that, that made it obvious that they were connected to it. In the mutual fund world, people were buying and still are buying funds based on the fund family and the management that's behind it. And they often know who that manager is, uh, who's running the strategy, in the ETF space specifically. Since many of those are index-based, you you want to paint a picture for an investor. You want to you want someone to think, I want exposure to this. What's the appropriate ticker that's there? So some of the products don't need that. The first mover advantage in in high yield, um, you know, we have some of those. Uh, since I, I, I remember, it you know, HYG is you know, high yield uh, grade I guess is the G that would go with it uh, and I it was high y yield and guy being, uh, <laughs> and then J and K being junk again you can see yeah. the image that that goes with it so it it, it works um, but a good ticker only gets you so well should only get you so far because once people will get their statement and see that the thing went down yeah okay there's no loyalty to to a catchy ticker.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess part of that too. I mean, when you're trying to entice people via the name, it just seems like fancy, you know, marketing. The uh, actually, no, I'm going to stop what I was going to say there, but uh, enticing via via the name. But you know, a big part of it, and with ETF strategies, the the evolution they've gotten a lot more sophisticated and a lot more complex, going away from just you know the basic broad based indices of of multiple, uh, you know, sectors or you know even asset classes within within them. But you know, as they've gotten more sophisticated and complex, they've become a little bit more unidirectional too, right? Where um, investors that use it, you know, perhaps even for a long term or a short term trade, can get caught off sides pretty quickly and pretty significantly. You know, I'm talking about some of these short or inverse performance ETFs with that inherently a lot of the times have that negative carry where they're actually losing. You know that 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 uh, a certain percentage uh, a month, and also these, especially these leveraged one or two or three t- plus times types of ETFs. So you know, oftentimes what I hear from the marketers of certain ETFs is that it's meant for the sophisticated investor, but you know, there's no real checks and balances around that so-called sophisticated investor. So has that investor base, particularly the you know do-it-yourself type of investors, have they involved, evolved? Enough to match kind of this progression in these ETFs.
0: So uh, I was kind of rambling I hope, there as I said. Yeah, no, 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 question. So no. So <laughs> I I I hope they have. So what we've seen and and July and early August is has certainly been eye-opening. It's supposed to be a slow period of time. Um, you know, summer months that we've seen continued money moving into it as well as evolution. So what we've had in, in the last few weeks, um, are single stock ETFs that are either inverse, meaning that your your benefit when that the value of the security the stock inside a Tesla, for example, goes down in value, you'd be benefit you'd be essentially shorting input through the ETF structure and having that rolled over uh, or leveraged versions of it. So you take a one and a half times leveraged version of of Tesla or Apple, to name a, a couple of the companies that are there does do I think that the average investor understands what is involved in shorting and how much you can lose in perpetuity if you hold on to that or do they understand that when you have something that's leveraged the risk is magnified the reward is too but the risk is magnified and that matters more on the downside it concerns me uh, because there's little to nothing stopping an investor from buying it, especially on a on a retail platform, so some advisory programs aren't allowing uh, leverage and in inverse products. They probably won't allow these products, but you can go onto Schwab or TD Ameritrade or Merrill Edge or any of these platforms, I believe, and put in the, that trade. And now you're on your own uh, to be able to do that. Um, we now have like, not, nowhere near to the same risk we now have single treasury-oriented ETFs uh, that just came to market recently. Um, I don't think the risk is, it, again, you're, you're buying a treasury and it's not leveraged, but you're not getting the benefits of diversification across the maturity spectrum. Um, and is that worth it? So we've seen much more sophistication in the ETF marketplace uh, that is both good in that it gives investors more tools to work with, that's bad if they don't understand what those tools are. I, I want you guys to respond to it as well. But the flip side of that is we've now seen products in, that are not in the same realm, but a company, Innovator, launched uh, what are known as defined outcome, or, or my words as well as theirs, buffered ETFs. So you could own Tesla with downside protection. So that, is that a better investor experience than just owning Tesla? Yes because you're protected on the downside, at least from a risk reduction standpoint, but you're paying that price to be able to do that. And so does that, is that worth it for you to be able to have? But innovation is good as long as investors understand what they are and not getting. I mean, I'd love to hear, again, I don't want to take over, but I'd love to hear your take on, you guys are fixed income uh, specialists, uh, your take on what we're seeing.
1: Well, I, I'll, I'll jump on that grenade, um, you know, uh, but I, I think, you know, that I'll I'll I'll, con- I'll contradict you real quick, Tata, one thing, the benefit of the inverse or those super levered inverses, I'll call it the two or three X inverse, is that you can't lose money you put up because you just go to zero, where the structure, because it rebalances and things, right? So effectively, the in client can actually, um, you know, can't lose money they put up. So I'd say that's a benefit. I, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate on that. Yeah. However, the 3X levered ETF and the inverse on the same underlying 3X ETF, the best trade you can ever do, and this is mathematics and beyond the scope of this, you short them both. And inherently, you want to short them both because they're they're inherently short volatility too. Like volatility kills returns. And so when you have a volatile market, those both go to zero. So that's why you short them. But anyway, that, that being aside, um, I, I I don't have criticism for these single stock things that especially leverage because some people can't get access to it. Do they understand it? I, I don't know. And it's like, how often does the leverage rebalance? It's, it's the rebalancing that inherently you're kind of short volatility. So, or volatility kills you. You're, you're on the other side of that trade. So you're short vol. But when I think about like the treasury stuff, I just don't understand it. Like why, anybody who has that Schwab account can enter a qsip and go buy the 10-year treasury. So again, not to criticize the firm that put those out there. You know, I, I'm just not sure what, what you would do there. And I was told, well, you know, you can do a two's 10 steepener. Or two's tens flattener, and you can you can bet on the yield curve. And I'm like, no bond people do that. They use futures, right? So right. Uh, again, because yeah, it's it's cheap, it's easy, net margins. Like there's there's a lot of benefits there. So um, you know, I, I think a lot of these things, you know, uh, are they the financial weapons of mass destruction as people call them? No, but they're probably not meant for common people. And so I find it pretty amazing that if me as a sophisticated investor who's been investing you know professionally for 20 years. Um, if I want to open an options account, I gotta give them a blood sample, I gotta demonstrate all this, you know, knowledge and everything. Um, but I can go buy this levered fund without any qualms about it, right? So th- that's where I think that some of it is dangerous, you know. But but the buffered stuff, I, I kind of agree that, you know, look, it sounds good, but people don't understand you're buying puts, you pay a premium for that, you're buying insurance along the way. So there is some cost, but you're gonna say something.
0: I I was just gonna say that. The good part of this is that even though this is is that little money is going into it, some activity happens in these leverage products and these yeah. new ones, and and they're fun. Well, they're fun and interesting to talk about it, but the core S and P five hundred based equity ETFs continue to pile in money. That's where most of the money is going into. So that's it, at uh, I, 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 the risk of saying what I wrote on Twitter as if that was relevant to, you know, for this forum, but it's a boring headline that more money went into the S&P 500 index-based ETF from XYZ ETF today. But that's yeah. what happened. That's where most of the money is still going. That's the core. And so people, some people are playing around, hopefully they're playing around in a smart way with these unique products, but yeah. that yeah, they're, they're rounding it out. And, and that, that, that again, makes me, both happy about it, but also I know, you know, headline writers have to write headlines for a reason.
1: Yeah, but although today the the headline writers did pick up the boring part and said there's a new bond king in town as one of the providers overtook the other one, right? So, and they were both passive products, by the way, uh, with yes. 80 plus billion in, in each of them. And so, um, you know, I think that it's, it's the market is king, not necessarily that the management there. So, let's let's shift gears real quick, Todd, because you're not just an ETF person, you're not just a fund person. you're a markets person too. So you know, talk to me a little bit. you know, Sam wants to know, you know we, we've got a big big step to ship to steer here. He wants to know what do you like in the fixed income market
0: so, I, so I, I think that high yield is still a good place to be able to be to be able to get it you know from an income perspective. Um, yep. I, I find that you can get. Again, I'm looking at this from an ETF perspective, not an individual security perspective. Um, You get the benefits of diversification uh, throughout that credit quality spectrum. I don't, again, I'm, I'm of the three of us, I'm least qualified to be able to answer, are we headed into a recession? But I don't think we're going to be headed into a recession. And so I'd be willing to take on credit risk and and think that that's worthwhile and you can get some relatively low cost ETFs to be able to get exposure uh, to that uh, to, to that world. Um, I know more of the equity side than I know the fixed income side, but, but yeah, high yield is where I'd be. I, I I'm happy to see that we're seeing money continue to come back into, because I think that's going to be rewarded.
2: So on that note, uh, I got two questions, two parter, I guess. Uh, one, what are you thinking about equities then? And then second, you know, you, I enjoy reading your research and your commentary. So, you know, maybe if you're able to, if you can give us uh, a sneak peek on what you've been working on. Uh, for the next uh, iterations
0: yeah so we we again we're probably i don't know how how fast this is going to get turned around i tend to write the week ahead you know often for the week ahead for what's going on so i recently i guess i'll I'll talk through what i recently wrote about um i mentioned we, we talked about thematic investing and what and the trend that's been going towards that and i looked through the various clean energy etfs that is an article uh on etf trends related to that uh the range to, to your question that you asked earlier, Sam, there's, i referenced four different ETFs. Uh, two of them are up for the year and two of them are down for the year. And the ones that are up, there's a good 500 basis point difference between them. We consider those all to be clean energy ETFs. So getting inside and, and knowing what that is. We've been seeing uh, this, you know, we talked about equity and we talked about fixed income. I'll come back to equity in a second, uh, but commodity ETFs have been very popular. They're roughly a low single digit percentage of the ETF marketplace. And they've been punching above their weight this year. Inflation uh, fears play a role in that. The war uh, in Ukraine and the shortages for agricultural products plays a role in that. But I'll have a piece uh, that will be out by the time the audience probably is listening to this. It'll come out on Monday. they just looking about where we're seeing a shift. Um, so we saw a strong interest in natural gas related commodity ETFs in the month of July and less interest in crude oil. Um, not gas very well in the month of July from a performance standpoint. And snap back, we saw a strong interest in corn related products. Yes, you can get exposure to corn and corn futures uh, through a product, uh, but less interest in wheat. Um, I'm not knowledgeable enough about the agricultural uh, commodities marketplace. And so I lumped those together. So I thought they would be gravitating in one direction, and they were going in two opposite directions in terms of the traffic that's there. Um, I will probably be writing more about just um, emerging markets. That's another area that seems to be piquing interest, uh, emerging market equities, that is, uh, with our audience. Um, it's bounced back. Uh, obviously, it, it was a very tough first half of the year, but it's starting to bounce back and we're seeing money move back in and we're seeing investors and advisors differentiate. You've got the broad market products, but then you've got some more thematic ones, you've got some country specific ones. So we'll probably dive into that one more one more time. Um, but from a US equity perspective, which is I think where you initially were asking me the, the, the question related to it, I think quality orientation, um, so slight defensive, but quality orientation. And I think we're seeing that, again, I, 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 I again, wanna put you guys uh, on the other end of this, but I think um, we're seeing the, the defensive sectors that still hold up from a momentum standpoint for the most part, uh, a bit of rotation that seems to be happening, but that's encouraging to me that we're not seeing people chasing. And we're not we're in a we're in as you mentioned the bull market for the Nasdaq we're back into it but we aren't seeing necessarily a flock towards technology it isn't just driving the market higher we're seeing some some broad representation so there's ETFs that offer a, a quality tilt uh, to their portfolio that I think are 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 gaining traction.
1: Yeah, um, I'm always amazed when people trade the natural gas stuff because you know that that's been historically known as like the widowmaker. And for those who don't know, re- read the story of Brian Hunter uh, out there from Amaranth uh, on, on that Widowmaker trade out there. But the carry is so crazy and that stuff, and you have this weird carry in it, you have this weird vol in it, and a lot of people just don't understand, um, you know, what it looks like. And you know, it's, it's like the people that complained about the oil ETFs and said, well, it doesn't track oil. Well, if you read it, it tracks futures, which you know you have this complexity of the of the term structure. I guess one last thing. What do you think about some of these thematic ETFs That are like the anti-trade. So I I read today that like, and again, not to criticize this, but like Peter Thiel filed for you know this one that's about drilling. It's like he calls it the anti-ESG, and that's the blatant thing. And or like you know the vice stuff. What do you think about those type of things? Are are those just trying to be catchy too? I mean, because we know like historically, tobacco has been a great place to invest, right? You know, uh, because of you know again people avoiding it. So. What do you think about you know potentially some of these? And I'm not trying to call out any of those specific themes, but as investors gravitate towards these ideas, that someone's trying to kind of do the anti side of it.
0: So, first of all, I, I guess I like that the that the ETF structure is where that's happening. That you know you wouldn't see that in any other broader uh, asset class. You know, obviously people short uh stocks and people have shorted high profile stocks based on the CEO but we have again not named we have a short ETF tied to ARC. i won't name the ticker although you could easily connect the dots on it um that's novel you know you're betting against that overall you know the, the manager That's kind of, that of weird age.
1: though because that's like an actively managed ETF so that's the thing that i find yeah. it's, it's one thing to have an inverse to an index but it's like you're almost saying an inverse to the manager, right? Yeah. I, that's a whole different type of beast to me. I, I don't know. What do you think?
0: I think that there's, that arc is high profile and people have a favorable or unfavorable view about it. Uh, they, are, you know, they are not the New York Yankees, but I'm, I'm here in New York, I'm, I'm a Met fan. You have an opinion yeah. on, you know, around the country, you have an opinion about the Yankees. You're either rooting for them or you're rooting that they don't make it into the into the playoffs or into the world series i think that- i'm just rooting for
1: judge to stop doing so well so he leaves the <laughs> yankees and joins my giants you know that's the goal because like we're, we're the n- number two favorite to get him so uh let's uh, let's hold
2: but, up on the uh that kind of talk as you guys are eating <laughs> into some of my sermon says props here
0: <laughs> oh my goodness okay well i won't i won't i won't get into i won't get into that but i i, I do think the so ESG is gets more attention than it gets assets. But it is gathering assets, but it's still a very small part of the ETF marketplace. So, and it's not the money that's gone into ESG ETFs, not an ESG investment, but ESG ETFs, isn't moving the needle. Um, ETF Money going into ETFs isn't causing stocks to go up or down in value. That's the the tail wagging the dog that somehow we made it 40 minutes in and I didn't use that analogy uh, (laughs) up until up until now. So yay me uh, for that one. Um, so an anti ESG version of it. Okay, I, maybe they'll be int- it might perform very well. I don't know that there's going to be enough interest. We, you know, we, We've seen these political affiliated related ETFs come to marketplace yeah. to try to capture investor interest. And they just they just don't get there. Uh, and funny, I, I looked
1: one up right before I came on, and yeah. it was like 16 million. I remember it was the talk of the town, but I won't mention yeah. it. But yeah, yeah, right.
0: Yeah. So, and part of yeah, I think there, there's, there's going. There might be demand if this performance. I, in the case of you mentioned performance chasing, that might happen. Um, and more power to them. I think Strive is the company that that launched its first product. Um, Todd, you mentioned uh, tied to drill. Let's see if it works. I mean, energy yeah. is certainly done well. They're a little late yeah. to launch an energy ETF uh in, in, in 2022, but energy is likely to continue to, to move higher. So we'll see.
1: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't want to put you on the spot. I know you got to cover these names and stuff too. So I don't I don't want to get too deep into it. But you know, I, I guess speaking of letting the cat out of the bag, Sam let the cat out of the bag that you know, his favorite part of the show is the Sherman says. And he's just so dying to do it. He even talked about it already. So Sam, why don't <laughs> we transition this to over to Sherman Says? All right. Uh, and then after that, uh, let's see here. With that, Todd,
2: um, Sherman Says. This is where I will offer a series of alternating prompts between you and Sherman, to which I hope to get a concise Top of mind response. Professor Schiller has referred to this as a verbal roar shark, which he enhors, uh, go participating in. So let's see how you uh, weather or stand this, stand this test here. So I'm gonna give the example out there of Sherman for US housing market.
1: Fading strengths,
0: but strong.
2: All right, over to you, Todd, with FinTech.
0: It's evolutionary, but still very early days.
1: Sherman, with
0: credit rally. It's not
1: uniform. Um, And what I mean by that is the high yield is really taking off. The IG is catching some of it, but it's got the interest rate component. But other pockets of the market really haven't seen it. We have seen EMD rally a fair amount uh, as of late, especially in the below investment grade. But there's been a big lag in other parts of the market. So um, I think you need to be long the credit rally with, with Todd. I just have a few other preferences over a uh, high yield at this point in time, given the rally it's seen.
2: All right, uh, back to you, Todd, with single stock ETFs.
0: Oh, boy, risky, uh, you better know what you're doing. Uh, I would equate it to, I, I would be very dangerous with a set of power tools in my hands, but in, 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 with um, the handyman in my building, I certainly know what he's doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I I shun all power tools, you know, and and Sam welcomes chainsaws, so like, that's why you need someone like Sam in your life. if You need to cut down a tree. So
2: hopefully, that's all I'm cutting there. So uh, single bond ETF, <laughs> Sherman.
1: They're okay for now, uh, you know. Like, just don't do it on corporate bonds because you get a single bond, like you know, pick X Y Z name. And all of a sudden, you can end up owning the whole issue and how do you source it and things like that. And by the way, the CDS market's going to face rip you uh, on the institutional side. So I I don't know, but it's going to come. So we'll we'll see. We'll see if I'm right or wrong about that.
2: 20-year single bond uh, treasury ETF there. Let's see here over back to you, uh, Todd, with tax on corporate stock buybacks.
0: I think that it's not going to, I think it's going to raise revenue and not impact the buyback activity. Uh, Companies are going to be creative in making sure they limit their taxes and still are able to to buy back shares. So I I don't think it impacts the market much at all.
1: So Todd, guess what? You just now signed up for an audit with all those new IRS agents coming. So uh, be forewarned. Sorry, Todd.
2: Sorry,
1: my bad. <laughs> you, can have to, uh, you can have Sam uh, be your be your uh, accountant on that one since he sets you up for that.
2: Yeah, I don't give tax advice, no. <laughs> <though>, so <laughs> I'll make sure make sure I say that right. So uh, whose is it now? I think it's uh, Sherman's consumer balance sheet
1: it's healthy. And I see all these people, you know, what people call the denominator problem that they say, Oh, my gosh, credit card balances are all time high, but they forget about the strength of the other parts of the assets of the portfolio. And so if you own real estate, you own some financial assets, they're in better position. So, um, you know, again, it's a bigger economy, there's some inflation. And so uh, owning some debt isn't necessarily a bad thing. So um, I think much is made about it that The balances are high, but when you look at it as a percentage of overall disposable income or net worth, it's not concerning. Obviously, that can change in a big downturn, but uh, at this stage, not concerning.
2: All right. To you, Todd, with Fed balance sheet.
0: Yeah, I don't know that I'm qualified to give much of an answer on this. I think they're doing a good job of winding down uh, what they have on a monthly basis, I don't track it enough, but I, it feels like they've got a good handle on on it, but I'm a, I'm a big believer in trust the Fed, and I don't know enough not to. Well, because yeah, the
1: saying is, don't fight the Fed, so right. you know, it's a very yeah. similar one, right?
2: Yeah. And right, don't fight the IRS. Here.
1: That's my corollary. Don't fight the IRS, Todd. <laughs>
2: <laughs> final round here, gentlemen, with, uh, for Sherman, Hunter Pence.
1: I'm a big Hunter Pence fan. He's you now he's a quirky dude. Uh, I own a Hunter Pence jersey, Sam. You don't know that, but uh, I do have one, and it's in the black Giants jersey, and it has a big, solid Metallica patch on it. So even though he's gone, I rock it because of Metallica on there as well. And uh, I just saw him announcing a game with Bob Costas uh, a couple of days ago when I was watching the uh, Padres-Giants game, the only game they won. Uh, that the Giants won in that three-game series. And uh, just I'm trying to figure out how the heck he got a gig uh, actually announcing with Bob Costas. And this was the day of the uh, Vin Scully tribute, and they were talking about how they'd all driven down and everything. So uh, Hunter Pence just seems like a cool cat. Love to hang out with him. Hunter, if you ever listen to the podcast, hit us up. Uh, Sam and I'd love to have a drink with you.
2: (laughs) Sounds good. You
1: know, that's what I do best, you know. Come on.
2: (laughs) All right, Todd, you're going to wrap this one up with, uh, let's see. So you talked about being a Mets fan. How yeah. about the uh, L.A. Doyers for the uh, National League Championship sh- Series?
0: Oh, well, I the Dodgers, if they can have, can stay healthy with pitching, I mean, the, the lineup is stacked, but the, they keep pulling out pitchers out of the bullpen that I didn't even know were still in the league or or. or I thought were washed up they they're like the Yankees in that when you put somebody on the roster, they all of a sudden, they, they play so much better. Uh But yeah, I, if I'm picking I'm picking my Mets. Yeah, because it's, it's been a long time. Um And I remember 1988. I was around when they when the Dodgers knocked the Mets out. Um, I was 13 and it was crushing. So, yeah, payback.
1: And- and Todd, I remember the Mets knocking the Giants out in the D- NLDSs as well. So that was probably in the 2000s. So yeah. um, you know, and uh, you know, look, that Dodger team is is just crazy. 700 this time of year, 77 33, I saw they were. Um, you know, uh, the Padres are playing well in the NL West and like 15 games back. Um, yeah. So they, you know it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but no, your message. Was, is
0: good. Baseballs. Baseballs fun. Again, I'm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a med fan baseball is fun the Giants are still in it and yep. thanks for Darren Ruff
1: yeah you're welcome and JD uh, looks okay so far so um plus we got four guys uh, we'll see we need some arms too but um you know, what I'm worried about the Dodgers is Walker Bueller coming back so um you know that, that guy's just a giant killer and so hopefully he's not a Met killer too so you know uh you know if they're playing Todd I'm on your team
0: you know, so if you're playing
1: the Dodgers, I'm, I'm always the anybody but Dodgers fan. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I am that way with the with the Phillies, even though yeah. they're not as good as they were in prior years. But, yeah, anybody but the Phillies.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Todd, th- thanks again for taking the time. Thanks for playing along with us there. But most importantly, can you tell our listeners where they can get access to your research, where they can follow you um, so they can get they can get all the insights we get from you as well?
0: Well, that's awesome. So uh, our research, you can find what I write at ETFtrends.com or www.etftrends.com. The company is Vetify. You can go to V-E-T-T-A-F-I.com. See that Sanskrit uh, background and information. And I'm on social media at Todd Rosenbluth and love to engage with with folks.
1: Okay. Well, Todd, thanks for taking the time. It's a pleasure to host you here. Like I said, I've known you for a while. I, I appreciate all the insights you provide to, And, you know, uh, it's great just to, to shoot some baseball uh, uh, jargon around with you as well. So, Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, okay. Jeff and, and Sam. My pleasure. Okay. Okay. Thanks again. And for those of you that weren't watching this on the YouTube, uh, you can find this on Apple iTunes. You can find it on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and all the other things that Sam streams his podcast with. So thanks again, Todd, for taking the time with us today and tune in for the next episode coming soon.
2: The audio presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the expressed written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any DoubleLine entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any DoubleLine entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2022, DoubleLine Capital.